Good morning. Today's reading is going to be from Philippians 1 through 9, or chapter 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Good morning. It's my uh, pleasure to be with you. And Paula just read this morning's text. As you know, I don't speak to you this morning as an expert um, practitioner of the secret of peace. In fact, in studying for this, uh, I've learned the very opposite. I'm, I'm much more in need of peace than I ever realized. We'll be building on what Patrick preached on last week, which is the secret of contentment. We'll kind of back up a few verses. I think there's a, one story in the Old Testament that more than any other exemplifies uh, this living in calm or living in chaos or, or living in a peace or living in anxiety. This is in 2 Kings chapter 6. In this part of the scripture, the prophet Elisha has been uh, serving God by, at this point, warning the king of Israel, king of Judah, of impending attacks and and thwarting the plans of adversaries. And the king of Aram, in particular, said, this is terrible, uh, how they keep learning what we're doing and they keep getting around it, that they have this one prophet, Elisha. Let's find this guy. So they find him, and they surround the city. Let me just read these verses that help encapsulate this for us. The king said, go and seek out where he is, and we'll capture him. And he was told, Elisha is in Dothan, and he sent horses and chariots and a massive army there. And they went there by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. And so he asked Elijah, Oh, my master, what are we going to do? Insert your own panic voice. Hey, wake up! Did you, like, miss your quiet time last night where God tells you what's going to happen and we get out of the city? This is normally the kind of thing you avoid, Elijah. You look around, army chariots, horses, even if we were mighty warriors, we'd stand no chance. You're a prophet, and I'm just like your get-everything-for-you person. Panic. 
not tranquility, fear. And rightfully so. They've been the main problem for the king of Aram. They found him, surrounded him, and now they're going to die. This is what Elijah responds. Elisha says, don't be afraid for those who are with us. Outnumber those who are with them. Elisha prays, Lord, please open the eyes of him to see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So Elisha was tranquil, at peace, not because he pretended things weren't bad, not because he slept in and didn't know what things were really like. In fact, he truly knew what things were like. He had all the information. He knew the impending doom, and he knew God's superintending rescue. And so he was at peace. It's almost as if the thing causing you angst or anxiety or fear or chaos, if you knew on the calendar what day that would be resolved for your good, you would be at peace. You'd be tranquil. Hey, don't you, you should be upset. Don't you know how bad it's going to get? I got a day on the calendar. It's going to work out. Today we're going to explore the secret of peace that Paul outlines in Philippians 4. Similar to the servant, it is a process of kind of having our eyes opened for us to see all the information. And you're a note taker, just three points. So we'll begin. The first point, this process is conditional. You must meet these conditions in order to have peace from God. The first one is celebrate. Join me in verse 4. Of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, hey, you want to get around to it. This is not a, if you want life to go good. This is a command. Anything other is disobedience. It's sin. So rejoice in the Lord always. There's no qualifiers or exceptions when... Hey, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, unless that's happening. Of course, that's terrible. Do not rejoice in the Lord then. Rejoice in the Lord, except for, okay, well, except for those things, because th- that never works out, and that's awful. There's no qualifiers. Rejoice in the Lord always. He repeats it. I'll say again, rejoice. It is emphatic. Other than just not thinking about it, we can't ignore what Paul's commanding the Philippians, and therefore the Spirit through him commanding us. That this is supposed to be a defining element of what a Christian is. Let me unpack for a second. What is this rejoicing? Okay, this isn't just walking around and telling everybody, praise Jesus right now. Isn't that? It is this kind of deep foundational confidence, unshakable, unwavering, the kind that Elisha had, that God is in control of everything. That whatever he is allowing to happen, and nothing happens apart from his gatekeeping, he has a purpose for all of it. A deep confidence that God is in control of everything, and and how he wields it, how he controls it, is for the good of the believer, 
and for His own glory. That is what Paul has in mind with rejoicing the Lord. Have this deep, unshakable confidence that He is manipulating everything for your good. Way wiser, way more powerful than you ever could. And for His glory. That's a distinctive mark of a believer. Now what this is not is just someone saying, hey, you've got to have a positive outlook. You know, stay happy. So everybody have a nice day. Don't get too down. He's not saying that. What he is saying, this deep confidence, is what the Old Testament writers would say. Especially the Psalms. If we read through the Psalms, you hear a phrase repeated again and again. And that is, the God who brought you out of Egypt. The God who rescued you out of bondage. The psalmist again and again reminds them of what God has done in the past. I had a friend this early this summer challenged me. He said one of the greatest things he ever did for his life spiritually was to kind of write down a hundred things God has done in his life. And I, I didn't do it until this week, preparing you know, for this message. I, let, me, let me do that hundred thing thing. Just see what that was like. I didn't get very far. Not because there weren't a lot of them. I, I didn't get very far before I kind of paused and realized I'm a fool for doubting him. Here's what I got. hundred things. All right, number one. God, you've provided for our needs financially. So sometimes we've been riding high. Sometimes we've been riding low. But we've never been without He's gotten me through a ton of school. Three different degrees. One, I thought, they're going to kick me out of this thing. We had, one of our kids was in the NICU after they were born. A machine breathing for him. A light keeping him warm. I mean, you would never think that today. But for a while, life was really scary and fragile. He brought us through that. I have a wife who loves me. And I don't, I'm not like super lovable. This is the Lord's doing. We have a home that we live. I mean, I just stopped. God, I, I forget these things. I lack this kind of foundational, I'm trusting in God because I just forget to remember what He's done. And sometimes all that's in front of me is what is He doing right now? And like the servant, I have blinded eyes. Celebrate. The second part of that, verse 5. It says, let your, let your reasonableness, or some translations say gentleness, or some say graciousness, be known to all, be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So this reasonableness, or graciousness, or gentleness, this is the person who, when, when life is troublesome... They don't make it worse. They absorb the shock. This has probably been the most exposing of me as I've been preparing for this sermon. I'm a lot less of a life absorber than I think I should be at this stage in life. I, I'm still too much of an overreactor. I'm still too much of a get a little bit of information and chaos freak out. 
So let your reasonableness be evident all. The person who has this deep abiding confidence of God, who is rejoicing in Him, they will be those who are gentle, reasonable. Now, I don't go around bragging about this, but in seventh grade, I went to church camp and I won an award at church camp. Uh, it was the Gentleness Award. Now, I don't know if you know how prestigious that is or if you've ever won one. And, uh, and I still don't to this day actually know how significant it is, but at camp, they had awards the last day and I got the Gentleness Award. And I, I really, I never asked anybody, like, oh, could I see the metrics and how you graded everyone and how it's better than everybody else? I, I didn't ask for that. Uh, but I think I have an idea of how I got it. So I went to camp with my friend Jay, and my friend Jay was smaller than me. Same age, but he was like a shrimpy guy. And I probably had, I was, at this time, I was probably eight inches taller and 50 pounds heavier. And uh, Jay liked to, like, mess with me and we'd wrestle. Now, what no one knew other than me and Jay and... Not this counselor didn't know this, is that Jay is freakishly strong as a seventh grader. And he's an actual wrestler. Like, I was just his big, dumb tackling dummy. And he was an actual wrestler, freakishly strong. And so I think what happened is a counselor saw Jay basically beating me in wrestling and um, assumed, oh, look how kind and gentle and reasonable Blake is being. What a fantastic, this is amazing, because uh, no shrimpy guy could you know, just manhandle, and they didn't know I was kind of fighting for my life at some point. So the gentleness award, this is how the world should see believers, that they're reasonable, they're gentle, they're gracious towards others. Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, the most immediate outward expression of a rejoicing heart. So how do I know if I'm rejoicing in the Lord? This is how you know. It's a Christ-like gentleness towards all people, which necessarily involves the patient bearing of abuse from others. How do I know if I am rejoicing in the Lord? If when something unpleasant happens, and I don't make it worse, that's been really convicting to me the last few weeks. He says, reasonableness to all, graciousness to all, not just your friends and family. And, but here's an odd paradox. We usually are the least reasonable, the least gracious to our friends and family. We sometimes treat them the worst. We're least gentle toward them. And he's not saying, hey, let's let everyone walk all over you and abuse you. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, is you actively give others slack. You... Uh, they're not taking from you. You're, you're taking something that's unpleasant and making it much more bearable. I think as peer persons, Christians in particular age, this becomes more and more of a reality. So I think of a, a parent and they got their first child and the child's seven and they won't eat vegetables and, you know, all kinds of law is enacted. You will eat your vegetables. I will be known as a good parent. Because if you don't eat your vegetables, then, you know, you won't graduate high school and you'll be a bum and life will be terrible and none of my dreams will come true. Whereas uh, a grandparent would say, you know what, I never liked those vegetables either. And I think, uh, I think it is time for ice cream. And, uh, 
Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to all. We're not just keeping the law and keeping, stay within these parameters. This is the mark of, of the believer, the mark of the one who, really the first of three conditions of peace, they celebrate. They're living in celebration of what God has done. Last little clause in there, the Lord is near. His presence. The believer does not do any part of this life alone. When I'm, when I'm like the servant of Elisha, that's what I think. I'm all by myself. And I try to Google and I can't answer the problem and now everything's horrible. We don't walk through any part of life alone. His presence. He says, let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is near. There should be a sense of, I don't walk through this alone. And so we'll see in a couple verses. He's going to hear my plea. He's going to hear my prayer. What Patrick preached on last week. Uh, he, he then is there to give me strength. What I'm facing. Second condition. Ask thankfully. James tells us, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes you don't have what you need that only God can provide because you just don't ask Him. Paul says here, ask thankfully. Verse 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's the second verse we have trouble obeying. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't continue this habitual pattern of fear and chaos and overreacting. At the core of this, I'm assuming this is a common experience, is a heart that is, for the believer, forgotten to trust God. It's forgotten. Jesus uh, has words that Matthew records for us in Matthew 6. Something very similar. He says, So don't worry, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? What if they never eat vegetables? And all the other what-ifs that plague us? Don't worry, asking these things. So the, the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers, they eagerly seek all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. The Father knows what we need. He's not left us to our own. So don't be anxious for anything. But in everything. So he says again, there's no exceptions. There's no thing, well, don't be anxious. I mean... Yeah, of course be anxious there because that's, that's never going to work out. Don't be anxious for anything except for that. He's, he gives no condition where we can be anxious. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, what are we to do? Through prayer, petition, requests, make them known to God. Believers, when they have need, they cry out to the Father. When we doubt God's goodness, or when we doubt His power, or we doubt His wisdom, we have anxiety, and we're not likely to cry out to Him. Because we think He's, we would never say this, but 
we think he's just too small to help. And it's not right thinking. When we view him as not good enough, not strong enough, not wise enough, if that's how we view God, then we should panic. If God really is not wise enough and not strong enough and not good enough, you should be way more afraid than you are. If he is those things, then Paul is able to give these commands. If he is these things in the song we sang a little bit ago, that he's broken every chain, this is possible. It says, ask thankfully with thanksgiving. Because without thanksgiving, then praying is just complaining. Without thanksgiving, putting your request to God, it's just complaining. Without thanksgiving, it's just kind of a spiritual tr- trying to arm twist. And I've tried it both ways. And without complaining, or without thanksgiving, does not lead to peace. Now, now Paul's writing to them to address a problem. But even in his first chapter, the third verse, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy in all my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. They have problems he's addressing. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful I have a church to write to. I'm thankful there's persons who responded to the call of salvation that even people I can be writing to and speaking to. And so what's the subject of your fear, your anxiety? Is it financial? You could start off with, God, I'm thankful that we have some income. I'm thankful that we have some choices. Maybe it's health. God, I'm thankful, I'm thankful we have some measure of insurance. I'm thankful that we have access to quality care. Maybe it's a decision. Father, I'm thankful you've brought me to this point. Let me give you a more specific example. It would look like this. Asking thankfully would look like this. Father, thank you for this house we're living in. You provided it. You, you had the, the owners before us accept our offer and made all the finances work out and you have been very kind to us with this home. That's the thankful. And the request would be, but we have this unexpected bill. And we've, we've been caught off guard. And it scares us. And we don't see a solution. And so we're just asking you to provide a way through this. You're powerful enough. You're good enough. You're wise enough. The same pattern of thankfulness can be applied to illness and prodigal kids. And workplace, and fertility, and romance, and academics, and legacy. Something happens, Paul says, when we follow this pattern, when we ask thankfully, when when we celebrate, we'll see in a second, when we reflect, what happens is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a conditional promise. Meet these conditions, and this is what is the result. This peace of God, this is a gift from Him, so it it is to be like Elisha. Tranquil. 
in the midst of what would upset others. Pray this way, asking thankfully. He says, condition, you get the peace of God. Now, the condition of peace, this has not come because God grants a yes to all your requests. He said, this simply comes because you've made known to God what you need. It simply comes because you've laid yourself bare to Him. And not that He needs to know this, but you need this. You need this process. So the past understanding, it's a reality beyond what our eyes can see. It will guard you. And this, this word guard in the original language, this is not like, um, this is not mall cop or, you know, this is not like a little sticker on a window. This is protected by, this is, uh, think, big garrison. Like not just a little team of special forces, like all the special forces will guard you, your hearts and mind, your inner person. And I'll just say, sometimes this guarding lasts the rest of the day. Maybe the rest of the week. Sometimes it lasts 20 minutes. You need to go back through. I'm reminding myself who you are and what you've done in my life. I'm reminding myself I'm thankful. And here's what I'm asking for. Let me pause and say this. Your lack of peace. If you're finding, Blake, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the rejoicer. I, I'm not the peace. I'm more of an anxious I want to say that your lack of peace is not some sin to beat yourself up over right now. That's not... Uh, right now, the Father is not frustrated with you over your lack of peace. Uh, that was all dealt with on the cross. He, he's not mad at you. He's not holding this against you. Jesus took care of that. So, 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 don't, so don't try and redo what Jesus has already paid for. He has already paid for these sins. And, and quite, uh, the contrary to this, not only has He paid for them, Jesus has lived a life that rejoices in the Lord. He's lived a life that wasn't anxious for anything. And that living has been credited to you. This is your standing before the Father. What I think is happening is he has built anxiety into how life works so that he would push us, he would gather us to himself. He's built anxiety into the pace of life to bring you and I to himself. Not not to pay for anything, Jesus paid for all that, but to get his presence. And maybe it is that the pressure, the mounting fear you're experiencing really is the Father saying, it's time for us to spend a good bit of time together. Maybe that's why this is happening. The third condition. Let me first say this. Uh, There are times when situations are so distressing and where when I wake up in the morning, you know, I don't have a reminder anywhere. to Oh, think about this again. It's the first thing I think about. I went to sleep trying to forget about it. When I wake up, it's the very first thing I think about. And the feelings of panic begin to rev up. And anxiety and fear and what if. And you pour some adrenaline on that. And I'm not out of bed. 
and my heart rate is elevated, and I'm anxious. This process of celebrate, ask, thankfully, reflect, we'll talk about in a minute, is the only consistent way I've found to kind of unspool that anxiety. It's the only way. The third thing, reflect, remember, contemplate. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything moral or excellent, anything that's praiseworthy, think about these things. Dwell upon these things. Ponder these things. So what we're not going to do is walk through each one of these adjectives. I'm I'm going to give you an example of what this looks like. What does it look like to to actively think about things that are honorable and pure and true and right and lovely and commendable? See, our, our anxiety, our worry, our fear, these things are fed and energized by misinformation. They're fed and energized by by half-truth. David Pallison, author, he has what he constantly calls uh, Psalm 23 and the anti-Psalm 23. And really it's a process whereby we can expose our misinformation that we tell ourselves. Our misinformation that we believe that really is feeding and spinning up our anxiety. So let me walk through Psalm 23 and give you an example of what this looks like. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is verse 1. The anti-psalm, the things we think and say to ourselves, so things like this. God doesn't care for me. No one protects me. He's withholding something from me. I will experience continual need. If you wake up thinking that, you are in fear. I have to say to myself, all right, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. What am I thinking? Oh, yeah, I'm thinking it's never going to change. I'm thinking he's withholding good things from me. Okay, that's, that's wrong. That's not right. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The anti-psalm, the things like, my experience is so much harder than others. It's not fair. I, I will never catch a break. You know that list of a hundred things I mentioned earlier? This is a list of a hundred breaks I've caught. Big breaks. Break after break. When I forget that, I can fool myself and think, oh yeah, I never catch a break. It's just always harder and harder and harder. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The anti-psalm, the untrue version of that. He makes me figure it all out on my own. And I'm broken, and I can't fix this. That's why I'm freaked out and panicked and scared. He gives no direction. He's forgotten me. Again, the anti-psalm is not true. But if that's what we have in our minds, we're feeding the chaos in our hearts. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The anti-psalm, the untrue. Uh, Life is supposed to be easy and smooth. It's supposed to work out. It's supposed to be better than this right now. I'm not supposed to have hard things happen. The pressure of life, it's just crushing me. And God, you've abandoned me. When we think that, we're actually shocked when things don't work out. We're actually in shock when accidents happen. 
and we shouldn't be. In the second part of verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the opposite of that. God, you're not in control. You're not powerful. I don't have a God big enough for my problems. Again, unless we force ourselves to think through this, we'll never say it out loud. But that's what I'm thinking when I'm revved up in anxiety. I'm thinking, God is not big enough for this problem. And I'm not big enough to fix it. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The opposite of that. I just get one bad thing after another, and I fear others finding out what I'm really like, what a mess I'm really like, how bad I really am. Second part of verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The anti-psalm, the untruth. You don't like me. You show me no favor. I don't have enough for myself. I certainly don't have enough to share with anybody else. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The anti-psalm. My life is just full of disappointment. My best days is everyone else's worst day. Things are never going to get better. I will always be alone. There's nothing for me in the future. This feeds anxiety. And it's not true. It's not true. Verse 9, the result of this reflection, the result of thinking of things that are honorable and just and true and pure, is verse 9. Do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul said it twice now. Here's the conditions, and you'll get the peace of God. Dwell upon, think upon these things, and the presence of God, the peace of God will be with you. When we expose false thinking, it loses its power. It's, uh, it's kind of like when you make chocolate milk, right? You got some milk, and you got your chocolate sauce, and you get your spoon, and you just stir that up. You just keep stirring, and you got like a, a vortex going, right? Maybe you're entertaining yourself and see how deep you can get the funnel to go, and you just is it all stirred up and, and you're done. You take the spoon out and it's spinning, but it's slowing and then it finally stops. When we reflect upon truth and expose the, the anti-truth that we think or say to ourselves, it's like taking the spoon out of the cup of our emotions and, and they spool down, they wind down. The process to peace. Celebrate what he's done. Maybe you need to make for yourself a list of 10, 20, 50. Maybe you need to make that list. Celebrate. Ask thankfully. Just portions. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be thankful. I'm, I can be thankful for something in here, Lord. And reflect, contemplate, remember what is true versus the we kind of convince ourselves is a half-truth. And see if God's Word is trustworthy. See if anxiety decreases and peace rises. See if, if chaos shrinks and tranquility comes up. 
It is your right and privilege as a daughter and son of the king to experience this. Not that he says yes to every request, but he frees us from being trapped by our wrong thinking. I'd like you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us and pray a blessing on you. And, and when I'm done praying, uh, we're going to sing in response to this. And so you, you may still have more things to be saying to the Lord, or he may be things to say to you during the singing time. Father God, you declare that you love us deeply. You say that the provision and slaying of Jesus is nothing you could do to say you love us more. And we, we just collectively confess we forget. We forget of your big and small moments of protection, provision, and care, love toward us. By the Spirit, would you remind us that this gift of peace is a blood-bought gift through the death of Jesus. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of uh, the world who sees your children, would you make us a peaceful people? People who have a deep confidence in you. People who, they're gentle, reasonable with others. May others see the hardship we experience, but also see the peace we have in it. May this be a great witness for your name. And not a fake peace, not one we, we put on, but one you actually provide. Father, we may not miss out on the privilege of being a son and daughter, the privilege of being called by your name, the privilege of being at peace in this world. It is full of trouble, but you say, join to you, the burden is light. Amen.